Welcome to the 337th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with thriller author Mark Cameron. Cameron has written the Jericho Quinn series, the Arliss Cutter series, and he's also taken over writing the Jack Ryan series based on the iconic Tom Clancy character. Stay tuned for my interview with Mark Cameron. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen to audiobooks during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Reading and Writing Podcast Special Offer. Get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with code RWPODCAST. That's code RWPODCAST for two audiobooks for the price of one for your first month of membership at Libro.fm. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Mark Cameron, author of the new crime thriller novel, Stone Cross. Mark is the author of many thriller novels. He's also written additional Jack Ryan novels in the Tom Clancy series. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about Stone Cross yet, how would you describe the novel? Well, I, I retired after 22 years from the United States Marshal Service, and the last, gosh, probably the last 12 were in Alaska. Uh, and I, you know, traveled all around the state, and I was already writing westerns at the time, but um, just seeing the varied geography and cultures and and that sort of thing around the state of Alaska made me really want to write books where Alaska was a major character and the Arliss Cutter um, and Lola Tariki protagonists in this are all over the state of Alaska in the in the series the first one goes down to southeast Alaska on Prince Wales the second one's out in western Alaska in the Yupik um, uh, Eskimo areas out there in Western Alaska, where I did quite a bit of work with my uh, fellow deputies and the Alaska state troopers. So these are, if they're out of 21 or 22 books that I've written or ghost written over the years, Stone Cross has the most of, of me in it, if you will. It's a, it's a murder mystery. It's a book about culture. It's a book about my friends, um, in the native communities in Western Alaska and my friends in law enforcement, it's uh, it's pretty near and dear to me. So how has your martial service experience with law enforcement informed your novels and writing? Because you do write in the, in the thriller and crime genre. Sure. I, um, I really try hard to write the kind of book that I would enjoy reading and that my friends would enjoy reading, but also, the kind of book that teaches about the, even though they're admittedly they're over the top, some of them in the adventure department, you know, um, some of my earlier thriller novels, the Jericho Quinn series, I always like to, to describe them as uh, plausible as far as the laws of physics go, but certainly not probable in some of the things that happen, but they're fun. And, and um, 
uh, fun to write as far as the, you know, Mission Impossible-esque kind of uh, stories. But um, the Arliss Cutter thrillers are a little more down to earth, a little more gritty, um, more in line with what I saw in my law enforcement life. So I, I really try to get the fight scenes right. I try to get the human conflict right, even if it's not necessarily, you know, fists and feet physical. Um, I try to get that human conflict realistic. I try to get the weapons right uh, and, uh, and the cultures right. I mean, that my I've got a son and both my sons were in law enforcement. One has gone on to medical school, but one son's still in law enforcement. And we have plenty of talks about how this is the people business and writing is the people business about observation. And so I think being in law enforcement for almost 30 years and being an observer of people um, really maybe um, lent itself to my writing. At least I hope it did. And so do you remember the original idea that led you to writing Stone Cross? I do. I do. I, uh, I had been out to Western Alaska, and when I say Western Alaska, I mean I'm really talking about a place that we up here called the YK Delta. The Most people have heard of the Yukon River that swoops out of Canada and makes sort of the big shallow U up in the top part of Alaska. And then the Kuskokwim River is um, sort of a mirror image of that, and they they almost bow together, and then they spread out again and form a big delta um, in between them that's, you know, kind of marshy muskeg area that's about the size of Oregon. And that's populated by, um, I want to say about 200 villages, some of them very small, um, about 50 something larger. When I say larger, I mean eight or 900 people, villages of native Alaskans. And my, uh, I have a good friend that's a trooper, and he was the commander over the Alaska State Troopers in that area. And he came to me when I was a chief deputy and said, let's go out and do some good out there together and join forces and see if we can help out. And we did quite a bit of work out there with literacy and, and some youth camps and things like that. But I spent a lot of time out there and saw the issues that these folks um, face every day in these places that are not accessible by road at all you have to fly there or, or uh, if you're on the coast take a boat but that's frozen much of the year so these are very isolated areas with uh, a lot of really hard problems when it comes to just you know getting water and sewage lines and things like that and and law enforcement issues and domestic abuse and all of that and so i just saw it as a as a interesting place to set a, a thriller with um somebody like Arliss Cutter, who's a bit of a fish out of water. He's from Florida. And so he's learning about Alaska at the same time the readers do. And, um, I just, I spent a lot of nights on a, on a, um, sleeping in a sleeping bag on the floor of the library or the home ec room or different classrooms and villages out there. Cause the school is often the, the center of the cultural activity and community activity out there. And, just started really um, because, as I said, I was a writer from way early on, even back when I was a uniformed police officer. And there's just a lot of being out there that uh, spoke to me about these 
these interesting cultures. And so do you keep a list of ideas for future novels or do you start thinking about your next novel while you're writing the one before it? How does that work for you? That's a really good question. I have a, I have an, what I think it's probably an endless list of novels. I, the research for like, I'm, I'm in the middle of working on a Tom Clancy novel. Now my fourth effort in the Jack Ryan series. And, um, that I, uh, I took over from Mark Graney when he recommended me for it. And I, um, as I ride along and do research, I'll think, oh, wow, that'd make a good, good little scene or good story, but it certainly doesn't fit in this book. And so I have a file, uh, both written and, you know, both handwritten and uh, on my computer where I, I just jot that idea down and get back to my work in progress. Otherwise I'd go down too many rabbit trails, but I, <laughs> I, um, you know, being out and somebody will say something interesting and, or make a turn of phrase. And I'll think, well, wow, that, that just really has some story behind it. And there's a, a little part in the, in the book and it's, uh, in stone cross. And, um, a friend of mine, I didn't actually hear it in person. A friend of mine was telling me about it where he works in the schools out there. And he was talking about two, Native women talking about how they used to have a parade. They used to do this in the village. They used to do that. And one of the women said, wow, I wonder why they don't do that anymore. And the, the women said, well, I guess we're they. We're the ones that need to do that. and We're not doing it. And I, and I, when I'm listening to them talk and seeing the issues they have out there, I thought, you know, that would be, that really fits into what I want to write about, the, the changing of the cultures and the old versus the new and so I, I just hear little bits and pieces out there. I might even, one of the fight scenes that's in that book, um, and I won't go into exactly which one, but um, one of the fight scenes out in the village that Arliss comes upon is a bit of conflict that I was involved in personally with that trooper friend I was telling you about when we went to a specific village. And um, I thought after that was over, boy, this really typifies some of the things that we see out here and that these people live with all the time. and. Um, I thought as that was happening, I thought this is, this is going to spark a, a, a scene in a book someday. <laughs> so what are your earliest memories of reading in books? Oh, my, my father was a teacher. My mother was a teacher. My aunt was a librarian. Um, and we lived across the country from one another. Um, I lived in, I grew up in Texas mainly. My aunt lived in Salt Lake City. She was the one of the head librarians of the Salt Lake City Public Library System. And so we would drive back and forth to the Rocky Mountains to Texas every year and she would give me boxes of of discarded books. Just I mean like fruit boxes full of books that the library was getting rid of and um I just devoured. I I was reading chapter books early early like second and third grade reading all the I still have um, quite a few of those early Hardy Boys that are the books that were on, the Hardy Boys books that were on the shelves when I was growing up were blue and black. They were really nice, kind of a blue and black uh, set. And I have the early brown covered uh, set before they changed the wording to from you know old chum and stuff like that. So I was I was reading the early <laughs> first edition Hardy Boys when I was in the third grade and right in the middle of so I'd have been about eight years old, right in the middle of my third grade year, my aunt went to a uh, 
library convention and Wilson Rawls was there, the author of Where the Red Fern Grows. And she got me a signed uh, copy of, and I, and I grew up in the country, so I had dogs and, you know, hunted and fished and all. I, got, I had my own gun when I was nine. And um, I can't imagine my grandkids <laughs> walking around the ranch with a shotgun <laughs> now. But I, my parents were not helicopter parents. So by the time I was 10, I had a shotgun and was out bringing rabbits home and stuff like that. So, but uh, at eight, my aunt saw this in me and gave me this copy of Where the Red Fern Grows. And I just cried my eyes out. And I took it to my third grade teacher and and begged her to read it to the class and she did and I had kind of a crush on her and so I remember watching her cry her eyes out and thinking wow these these books really they can make a difference and I I guess that's my earliest memory of thinking I might want to write some stories like this so all my original my early stories and little spiral notebooks and legal pads that my mom kept me supplied with um, much of the writing was done on those long drives back and forth to visit my family extended family in Louisiana and then back in the Rocky mountains. And I, uh, mostly wrote derivative, you know, where the red fern grows esque kind of boy and his dog kind of <laughs> stories. Like most writers do. I think we copy the early writings. So I'm curious, I mean, given that you, um, sorry, I, um, I was just, I was wondering, given that you wrote uh, these early stories, which you described as derivative, what was the eventual path to publication for you to writing and publishing your first novel? Well, I wrote a couple of locally published stories up here in uh, Alaska. Um, and then I I wrote a Western, of just a traditional well, I guess semi-traditional Western. It was set in the night, you know, the mid 1900s, not back in the gunslinger times. But I, um, about the five, we were living in northern Idaho, and and uh, I was writing about. Um, I, I did some tracking, man tracking with the U.S. Marshal Service, and so that interested me. And I have a friend that teaches tracking, and he he's actually my jujitsu uh, sensei, and good friend of mine and we chatted about some different ideas. And so I wrote a Western that featured a, a tracking team back during the Geronimo campaigns. And then they're as older men in their forties, they get kind of recalled to, to solve a problem and track down a save, a, save a girl that's been kidnapped. And in Montana during the huge fires that happened in 1910, it's a, a lot of people are not even aware of how bad the fires were in 1910, but, um, they were so bad that the street lights came on in your neck of the woods because the ash got so bad in Montana that in on the East coast, it just darkened the sky and it like snowed in Denver in the middle of the summer. And it just was a real, almost a nuclear winter. The fires were so bad. And so set wow. that in the middle of this big, it's called the big blow up. If anybody wants to look it up at uh, the, 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 uh, tool that firefighters woodland firefighters use today that's kind of a hooked axe called a pulaski is named after one of the the forest service firefighters um kind of a hero of that uh, fire anyway so i set this western in the middle of that fire and big tracking mission and all that and worked on it you know i read and and studied and i read a lot of i over the course of my want to be writer's career while i was a 
a police officer. And, and at this point, I'm still with the U.S. Marshals when I was writing these Westerns. And I uh, had read virtually every book I read was a, a like taking a college course to me. I, re- I read with a pencil. I take notes in the margins. I, you know, take note of how, you know, I, I have several Ken Follett novels that are just look like I used them for a master's thesis. They're just broken down and studied and how he turns a phrase. And I did that with many books over the kind of self-studying and then taking, you know, talking to any writer that I could. Uh, um, there's a science fiction writer in uh, Weatherford, Texas, where I was a police officer named Warren Norwood. He's since passed away, but his wife was a stringer for the local paper. And uh, I found out that he was a published writer and she put me in touch with him. And that would have been in my mid 20s. So I was really trying all this time and getting a ton of rejections. And so I t- talked to my wife. We were in Alaska and I was a POD at the time, a plain old deputy. I hadn't promoted or anything. And so, we'd, um, you know, we're kind of young family, didn't have a whole lot of extra cash. And I said, I really want, I think this is published, something I could publish. Do you, how about if we invest some money and I go to Helena, Montana to a writer's conference? And so I did, and I pitched the pitched the uh, book. And uh, one of the editors there from Kensington. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Showed interest and asked me to send her three chapters. And then a couple of months later, um, she offered me a ghostwriting gig for another author said she wanted to publish mine, but she needed this done first. And then she'd try to schedule mine. And, you know, it was a paid writing gig. So I was happy to do it. But then she was laid off and uh, hadn't told anybody she was going to hire me. So I was like orphaned the week after I was hired. But then in between that time, she had given my pages to, given those three chapters to an uh, incredibly wonderful literary agent named Robin Rue with Writer's House in in, uh, New York. And Robin contacted me and said, uh, so-and-so gave me your pages. I'd like to represent you. And uh, let's work from here. I think we can get this ghostwriting 
gig done and also get your stuff published. And so I was just extremely fortunate to get one of the just the top agent of one of the finest agents I've ever even heard of. And there are many good agents in New York, but I'm very fortunate to to have Robin in my corner. And so I Robin's been my agent for seventeen years now and um she's represented me in all the all my books. That's a great story. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast and, and earlier, you've written novels in the Tom Clancy uh, uh, Jack Ryan series, novels such as Code of Honor and Oath of Office and others. How did you begin writing Tom Clancy novels? That's a really good question. I was I wrote, at that point, I'd written seven Jericho Quinn novels. They're about an OSI agent. That, you know, the best, the best way to describe those is, um, I, in fact, I used to joke. I used to joke that uh, they were much more like Cussler than they were Clancy because they're a bit over the top, very high adventure. And I like Tom Clancy. I like Clive Cussler novels. But they are, uh, I think, people that write them and read them would admit they're different. But um, I uh, had written seven Jericho Quinn novels. And um, I was working. I wanted to kind of break out and do this uh, switch over and kind of go back and forth and do these Arliss Cutters. And so I I was at a conference in, I think, New Orleans. And Mark Graney, who is writing the um, Jack Ryan, you know, Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan novels at the time, and I had become friends over the years, going to uh, BoucherCon writers' conferences and Thriller Fest in New York writers' conferences. So I was at a BoucherCon in New Orleans, and Mark and I were chatting in, in the bar where most of the business takes place at these things. And uh, he said... Uh, how would you how would would you like it if I gave you a a, a, cover, a cover blurb? And I boy, I was just gobsmacked. I, I hate asking other writers for cover quotes and cover blurbs because I know how busy we all are, and it really takes some time and um, to read other folks' books. And some writers are hesitant to do it just because you don't want to be derivative of you know they write a great spy novel and here read my spy novel and how come some of my stuff that sounds a lot like what I wrote ended up in your book, you know? And so Mark coming to me and, and offering that was just a tremendously kind and, and generous thing to do. And so I said, that'd be great. Send him a, a um, e-copy of the, of the, uh, it, you know, the, not the final proofs um, or I guess before the final proofs, the first pass of the, of Field of Fire, which was, I think, number seven, Jericho. And he wrote me a nice quote, and that was that. In fact, he wrote something that alluded to Clancy in the in the, in the email to me, like, wow, this is really kind of Clancy-esque. And he was he was known for being the, the Clancy, you know, the writer that took up the pen from Tom Clancy even um, and worked with Clancy before Clancy passed away. And so, and then he has, he has his own, uh, Gray Man series this is just fantastic. So he wrote he wrote me back an email with a quote, and I went on my way. My wife and I had gone to Florida. We were researching some um, Arliss Cutter area scenes from where he grew up for the novels. And I was on the beach um, in Florida with my wife, and the phone my cell phone rang, and it was Robin, my agent. And I guess my wife 
sensed at that time that something odd was going on because I had this pained look on my face. I don't know if she thought somebody had died or something was going on because she took a photo of me and I'm standing on the beach and the wind's blowing. It's kind of overcast. And I have this, it looked like I might be having an aneurysm or something. But Robin said that Mark had um, decided to step away and work on his own Gray Man series more and some other projects. And he had given the chapters that he had read to his publisher and recommended me for the Jack Ryans. And so I, you know, I really owe it all to Mark pushing my name forward. Wow. That's a great story. So how does the process of writing a Tom Clancy thriller novel differ than the other novels that you write? Well, I think the, the process for me is the same. I'm quite an intense plotter. I, I have, um, um, copious notes and I write a lot longhand either with pencils or a fountain pen. And, um, so I have stacks. In fact, I'm sitting at my very cluttered desk right now and I have one, two, three, four, five open, um, yellow Rodea or orange yellow and yellow Rodea notepads, um, and boxes, you know, boxes of Blackwing 602 pencils that have just been sharpened in a bunch of research material and I'm just sort of covered up with mountain and a whiteboard in front of me. So I do a ton of research. Most of my books have uh, maybe three subplot lines going through them where a Clancy will have five to seven. And it's really like, to me, I, I write the stories out and sketch them out, those plot lines. And then it's kind of like shuffling a deck of cards. I spend a good deal of time shuffling those plot lines, those individual scenes of those plots into the long story so that um, you're switching back and forth, but the reader gets the reader gets their appetite whetted, but maybe not completely satisfied, but we have to and then before you move off to another subplot to build up their interest in that subplot and almost get to the the climax of that subplot and then you move back to the other one and the danger in that is that um you know you don't want to make the reader mad but you want to keep them reading you want to get them excited about each of the subplots if you if you just skipped away from the action and went to exposition that's that's a crappy trick that's just pulling the table out and wrecking all the you know the tablecloth off and wrecking all the the dishes and plates but if you if you're able to switch away from action to more action, so wherever the reader is in the story, they're still interested and excited. Then, and and I, you know, obviously, I'm not perfect. So I sometimes I look back and go, man, I wish I would have done that differently after it's in print. But um, I write the books the same way as far as the process. The Clancy's are much deeper in research. I I make up some of the locations um for instance in stone cross is based on some real villages but it's not a real village in the clancy world when i write about a town it's it's most generally a, a real place and you know it's something i've researched either been to or or interviewed somebody that's been to i can't so many people with that read tom clancy's are reading it with a a slide rule or a TI graphing calculator right next to him, making sure I get my physics right, you know, where people give me a little more leeway in the others. 
And so given your, your, uh, given your uh, writing and all of the novels that you've written thus far and your process that you mentioned earlier of taking that Ken Follett novel and basically turning it into a dissertation and breaking down mm-hmm. each scene. And um, I'm curious, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels and would like to get them published? Well, I, you know, I tell everybody that asks me that question to to just get words down on paper it's writing can be so debilitating. And, and I would say that 95% of the writers that I've met have this, this struggle between them where we have the hubris to say what we want to say is important enough for you to read. But at the same time, we're always trying to pull it back and say, no, but it's not very good. And we have self doubt and we're just constantly at odds with this, this read this but you got to pry it out of my hands kind of, kind of a feeling and a bit of a, an imposter syndrome. So the first thing that I tell people is just get some words down on paper. You know, Hemingway, a dozen other writers have said, you know, all first drafts are crap, so to speak. Let it be cruddy writing at first. You can fix it. You can't fix a blank sheet of paper. So if I, I can mull over and, and waste three hours of time switching the words around in a sentence and the sentences around in a paragraph, or I can slam out that paragraph and move on and get seven paragraphs done or 20 paragraphs done and then go back and fix them later after, because sometimes and this is a advice I've heard from other people, but I first heard it from Robin, my agent. She said, sometimes you got to write three chapters before you get to the first sentence of your book. And you'd never have gotten there had you not written those first three chapters. So my advice to people is write, sit down and and tell that story. Don't so much worry about getting every craft and every you're, you're, and you're right, or there, there, and there, or whatever. I don't get caught up in that. That's, that's internet nastiness. Just write the story, tell a good story and you, and the people will forgive you, you know, myriad mistakes. Um, And you can go back and fix them. Um, and and the other thing I tell people, especially in this day and age, is get your nose out of your phone. You you uh, you have to observe the world. A, a really wise Texas Ranger once told me, you know, we were working a bad bad homicide scene with a decaying body, and he squatted down beside me to look at the body, and the wind was kind of blown away from us. And and I was young; I was like 26 years old. My first homicide investigation as a young detective and i said billy tell me what to do and he kind of cocked his hat back and took the toothpick out of his mouth and he said marcus just write down everything you see and about that time a fly blew off of the body into his mouth and he didn't even skip a beat he just picked the fly out of his teeth and he said marcus just write down everything you see and watch out for the blowflies and I thought, man, that's that's got to go in a book someday. That's just that's just amazing. That's the coolest guy I've ever met. But that's really what writing is all about. You're observing. You're watching out for the blowflies, but you're not watching out to stay away from them. You want to write about them. You just have to observe everything around you, and you got to get your phone out of your out of your nose out of your phone in order to do that. So what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you really enjoyed? Oh, let's see. Well, I'm doing a lot of uh doing a lot of research right now, so I'm reading a lot about um 
in espionage and, and that sort of thing. Um, um, as far as novels, I reread um, Nora McLean's A River Runs Through It every year just to clean my brain. I think the prose in that is just so incredible. Um, I've read, I read a, a book about submarine warfare called Blind Man's Bluff that's extremely interesting. Uh, that's probably the most uh, interesting book that I've read in a long time. I read so much nonfiction, so much technical stuff. Um, I draw a lot from my life for the the work stuff, you know, the gunfights and things like that. I don't read a lot of gun books and that sort of thing. I have a lot of guns and shoot a lot, but um, I, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, stay in touch with folks. But I, as far as reading, I... I honestly don't read a lot of thrillers either. I'm too busy writing them. And as I said before, I don't want to get derivative. I do read my friend's stuff, um, Mark Graney, and uh, a guy named Rip Rawlings, a retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel, wrote a book called Red Metal that I think is just one of the the best books of the last several years. It, it, it reminds me of... Um, Red Storm Rising, one of the early Clancy books. So that's highly recommended. I just finished a book by Jack Carr called Savage Sun. That's it's uh it's incredibly good. Another guy named Don Bentley. Um, he's got a great new book out, or I guess it's it's been out a while. Um, and Don's going to be writing the writing with me. He's going to be writing the Jack Ryan. Um, junior books but his his book that came out maybe six months ago is called without sanction you could i could i got a early read of it and i could tell when i read it he was going to be a a, just a really good up-and-comer um and then of course then they hired him to write the jack jr uh clancy novel so i was proven correct um Nick, nick petrie writes a really good story nick's a good uh example of somebody just telling a great story he he doesn't have a law enforcement background he's got a construction background but the guy knows human conflict he knows human um emotion and uh he uh he writes kind of in that jack reacher vein kind of kind of a story and uh, tells a great story so i read i read all his stuff so other than that I really, I mean, I'm sure there's some I'm missing, but I read a ton of nonfiction. In order to keep keep two year, two books a year coming out, I watch very little. We don't even have a television. Uh, we watch a few streaming shows. Mandalorian is a favorite, but uh, and that's a very simple story. Um, but mainly, I'm watching the movies in my head while I write these books. Great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your books? Yeah, so I just they can email me through my website at Mark Mark Cameron Books, Mark with a C, Cameron with a C, um, or I'm online. I mean, I'm on uh, at Mark Cameron One on Twitter that I don't get on very often because, as again, I, I'm too busy writing and don't really have a whole lot to tweet about except I'm writing or hiking in Alaska. Um, on Instagram is Mark Cameron author and on uh, Facebook as Mark Cameron author. So any of those places, I don't check social media as much as I probably should. 
long as, as much as my publicist would like me to, uh, because I'm busy writing or with my grandkids when I have a chance. But I, I do answer all the emails and I'm easy to find that way. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Mark Cameron, author of the author of the new thriller novel, Stone Cross. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Mark, thanks for doing this interview. Hey, thanks a lot, Jeff. I appreciate your time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.